You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 63 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and this week I am in Matt Smith's conservatory you can just call me matt it's fine i don't need right. the full address right, okay <laughs> matt's conservatory yes we are here there is a reason for that though to yeah be yeah there yeah. is a reason for multiple that. reasons yeah i um i recently moved home yes, yes. as most of the listeners will probably know and how is that going uh it's going it's actually going really well yeah it's it's a bit bit crazy we, we've started to get things um in order everything's fine and stuff so um yeah, we're 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 on board, but we won't be having internet until Thursday. Ah, splendid! Uh, speaking of on board, um, we Ooh, have a guest. We do have a guest yeah. uh, on via Skype this morning, and joining us very early indeed, indeed. on the fifth of June, I might add, oh. at quarter past nine in the morning. Oh, look at you doing your, nine, your, your know, time check! I know. Very good. So, welcome on the show, Pip. Good morning, everyone. Uh, oh, dear. It's, it's, it's nice it's, to hear his voice. It, it is lovely. When, when Pip joins us, it's like putting on a comfortable pair of slippers, isn't it? You know you're in safe hands. I know, yeah. I know. It's like it's like the autopilot's been set and we're just yeah. um, we're cruising. Trust yeah. you uh, trust you to come up with an airplane now. <laughs> I'm not sure if I like being compared to a pair of slippers. No, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you like being compared to air autopilot? That's the... <laughs> They are, well, <laughs> they are nice slippers, Pip. They are they're, yeah, no, um, they're, they're tartan they're not just, ones. They're just your average pair. I'll have oh, tartan. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> yes. And they're not they're new as well, so it's not like they're worn in or no. Oh, anyway, I do like new slippers. Do you? Well, I bring my slippers to yours you every do. time you I come do. round. To be fair. Yeah, he is actually wearing <laughs> slippers. I'm not. I'm not even joking. <laughs> so we're back again in the studio. We are. Apologies for our uh, slight lack in getting a mm. show out last week, but yeah. as I said, um, I was knee deep in cardboard boxes, yes. and um, it wouldn't have um, no, been, and, been a good and, idea. And I was, uh, we did have another plan where, we, where I was going to try and get a show out, and then I basically was in a location where I could, I could barely get mobile phone signal, let alone broadband. But I think they're, they're still in dial-up where I was staying in in was it Kenmore Kenmore that's right in the you in Scotland village called in Scotland oh. yeah absolutely yes for a friend's wedding which was fabulous but the less the less I say about the hot tub the better I think yes yes so Pip you Pip you're um, you're going to join us for as long as you can you might yep. have to scoot off soon yeah, he's a busy man he's very busy man you're you're off to some sunnier climbs today aren't you Pip yeah I'm in Paris at the moment uh-huh. and I've got to skedaddle in uh, about fifty minutes uh, uh-huh. for a quick jaunt across to Geneva and then I think we're coming back to Paris actually I'm in Paris it's like name checking <sighs> for the rich and famous isn't it and I would, I would imagine that Pip's probably in a five star hotel as well yeah uh, <laughs> I'm really not <laughs> <laughs> it's a travel lodge oh, you, you'd like it though Carlos from here from my window I can look across onto the apron at uh, the airport here oh no no go really? for the love of please oh. don't tell him that no 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 no. poor Gemma so will be an airport Hotel, which is you know not particularly salubrious, but uh, it'll do. Oh, as I say, please don't tell him that. Poor Gemma will be made to go and stay in this hotel just so that he can stare out of the bedroom window and watch planes land. I'm jealous. Yeah, he's jealous. I'm yes. jealous. <laughs> anyway, as as we haven't got Pip for very long, yes, I think we, we need get to going. get on. Yep. So we're going to kick off the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news mm-hmm. from around the world and the UK, yes. as chosen by Matt. No, 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 this no, no, week. no, no, no. I don't want any blame or responsibility. <laughs> Rain it back. 
So, Matt, he's had no internet, by the way, so I I apologise in advance for the drivel you're about to hear. Oh, Matt, (laughs) you're too kind. So, if you're ready then, Matt. No, I'm not ready. Okay. And if you're ready across the... uh, The French pond. The French pond. I'm ready. Let's go. So, absolute lunacy. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> blimey. If only people could hear no, we, us no, singing they must the never hear what oh, happens no. okay. in between, ever. <laughs> so, kicking off this week's first news story, then, on the Yahoo News site, and EasyJet using drones for safety inspections to save money. Mm. A story we've covered in the past, and... Um, but uh, EasyJet have begun using the automated drones to carry out safety inspections on their aircraft, the airline has announced. EasyJet has begun using the drones to carry out safety inspections on aircraft and, uh, and at an event in Milan Malpensa Airport, the UK-based budget airline said a test inspection on an aircraft had been completed by one of the unmanned vehicles and that they planned to bring drones into service across their engineering bases in Europe over the coming year. The airline said that in the implementation of the technology would help to reduce the number of hours an aircraft was out of service due to inspections taking place, which are routinely done after events such as lightning strikes. Ian Davies, EasyJet's head of engineering, said the use of these emerging technologies frees up our own engineering and digital teams to enable them to undertake more skilled tasks, keeping our costs down, which in turn keeps our fares low and helps minimise delays and ensure that we maintain our industry-leading punctuality for all our passengers. Safety is our number one priority, and, and so all of these new technologies will help be applied by our experienced engineering and flight crew to ensure our leading safety record is maintained. As well as drones, EasyJet also announced that it will begin trialling the use of 3D printing to replace parts within the cabins of the aircraft. The trial will be used to provide replacement parts such as armrests, with the airline adding the aim it was to reduce the time needed to fit replacements. God, do people really use it uh, in armrests that badly on the aircraft? Yeah. They? Yeah. Well, they're obviously well. Trouble people people are leaning on them when they're getting in and out, aren't they? That's yeah, I suppose. I so suppose. They, will, they will wear out quite quickly. So EasyJet chief executive Carolyn McCall said that. EasyJet has always been pioneering. We revolutionised travel in Europe, enabling people to fly to more places more cheaply than ever before. From our birth, almost 20 years ago, we have innovated from selling through the web and more recent moves like introducing allocated seating. Now, this question, I think, really should be asked to Pip, isn't What's it? That? How do you feel about um, about using a drone to do a, a plane inspection? Do you like the idea? Um. Yeah, I don't see why not. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Drones, the drone industry is going to be massive. Mm, yeah, yeah, It's going to be a billion-pound industry. They're just so versatile. There's so many applications for these things. Mm. And here's another example, doing uh, using these drones yeah. to do inspections. I guess what they've got, they've got a little camera under this drone, like a little GoPro or something, mm. and you can just fly it across the top of the fuselage mm. and you know have a close look at, at whatever it is you need to look at without sending a guy up a ladder. Mm. Yeah. Uh, instead, so yeah, I, 
I think it's good. Why, why not? Well, I guess there's no reason why at all in, in this case. I mean, I, I, I use I use my recent trip to, to Scotland, obviously, and it was a very quick turnaround because the, the plane had come from Dublin to Stansted and was then going on to Edinburgh, from, which is where I was going. And the pilot literally got out and he did a quick... Uh, he was literally doing, like I do, what I do in my vehicle checks, and as you so brilliantly described in, in that little section you did for us, Pip. Uh, and I, I remember thinking then, actually, I just thought, yeah, how great would it be if, if you've got the drone and you can just have a quick fly over the top and you can make, you know, you can look at the top of the wings, mm. you can check the, you know, sort of how, how the flaps are doing. You know, I mean, it's... Uh, when, you, when you look at these engineering facilities with these mm. massive gantries and stuff, what yeah. they have to put up to check like mm. the the, you know, the tail fin and the rudder and everything in these aircraft to have a drone to be able to fly up there mm. you've got you well you've got no risk of anyone yeah. falling down so well they're, they're quite they're quite stable nowadays aren't they so oh, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Uh, and presumably that it's high enough definition so that it's say in pip's Pip, case Pip could... knows because he's got one. Oh, has he yes yes i do um I'll, i I'll hope you fly it responsibly Pip. but you know i yeah. i don't think they're suggesting here that a, a pilot has one to do a pre-flight inspection although that <laughs> right. would be rather cool <laughs> yeah these are, I think, for more for scheduled maintenance checks. Right, when it goes into the hangar, mm. and you know, rather than build a big scaffolding or something to yeah. get on top, they can just whiz this thing around it. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, that might be fun carrying a drone around in the cockpit. Well, it, it would certainly aid your your ability to in, in, inspect the aircraft, presumably. Check on the passengers. Behind. <laughs> well, I think as much fun as it would be on a, a practical point of view, it'd be more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, You'd yeah, have to, point. you know, um, download the the footage off the camera and. That would take forever. Yeah, yeah. true, true. That's yeah. a fair point. And the, the batteries on these drones, I don't know about the one EasyJet are using, but uh, my one, which isn't a bad one, uh, the batteries really only last blah, 12 minutes at a push. Wow, oh, really? really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh, dear, that's not ideal. Okay, on to the next story then. Next story. Uh, this is Air Transport World is the website and the headline, Ryanair eyes Wi-Fi and interlining. Ryanair plans to introduce in-flight Wi-Fi within two years and is likely to add some form of interlining. Um, what do they mean by interlining? I've no idea. Okay, could you look that up? I'll Google me, that. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad you asked that, Matt, because I was about to ask the same question. No, indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no, me neither. So anyway, we'll read the story and hopefully Carl will have all the answers for us in a couple of paragraphs' time. Um, <laughs> so within two years, and he's likely to add some form of interlining. I apologise to all the listeners who are screaming at their headsets saying, "What you, you morons, what, you know, this is what... Anyway, within five years, according to the Chief uh, Marketing Officer, Kenny Jacobs, speaking at the Connect 2015 conference in... Ki- Killarney Island. Jacobs said Ryanair is actively considering a number of initiatives under its always getting better AGB customer service turnaround. One of these is the low cost carrier uh, kryptonite of connecting traffic. I'd be quite surprised uh, looking at the next five years if ourselves and probably EasyJet aren't feeding traffic into connections. Uh, uh, Jacob said it uh, has many implications and we are looking through them just trying to understand what the different versions uh, of that are we have not done connections in the past but it is quite an interesting way to step change our growth into a different type of way that's a terrible paragraph whoever wrote that under AGP uh, Ryanair is working to boost its load factor and repeat customer. However, Ryanair does not need connecting traffic to hit its 100 million passenger target for 2015, 2016 and 160 million by 2024. It's an interesting area. More and more airports are asking us about it. And I think it's an obvious solution into the marketplace, Jacob said. He identified a potential opportunity at London Stansted, which has 170 to 180 onward European destinations, including a 
around 150 operated by Ryanair, but he said similar potential could exist at other European airports. He contrasted this with Heathrow, which only has 50 or 60 European destinations. This is a great opportunity waiting to happen, and as the biggest airline at Stansted, that's quite an interesting one. If a large transatlantic carrier did decide... Uh, did. Uh, descent scale landing at Stansted. Uh, is that a connection opportunity that we'd be interested in talking uh, in talking to Stansted and the transatlantic carrier about? Absolutely. We also gave the strongest indication yet that Ryanair will install Wi-Fi connectivity on its Boeing's 737 fleet. Although Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary had previously said that he was actively looking at Wi-Fi, O'Leary raised questions over the readiness of mobile phone companies to offer affordable, reliable, airborne Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi will probably be introduced in the next in next two years' time, Jacob said. He added Ryanair may commercialise Wi-Fi by partnering with consumer brands and using advanced passenger segmentation to target that at advertising to business travellers' families or holiday makers. Okay, so looking up interlining. Splendid, yes. I think um, I've got the gist. It from took me answer. a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interlining, also known as interline ticketing, is a voluntary ah, commercial agreement right. between individual airlines to handle passengers travelling on itineraries that require multiple airlines. Oh, I see. Right. I see. So there yeah. we go. Well, there we are. And there goes Stuart. In the parachute plane, Indeed, again. Yes. Does he require an interlining connection? I don't know. No, okay. It requires a sick bag, I think. <laughs> yes, <it>? indeed. <laughs> you, um, you, you use Ryanair quite a bit, don't you, Pip? Um, no, actually. Oh, you don't? Or is it EasyJet you use? No, funnily enough, as a company policy, we do not use Ryanair unless it's the absolute last resort. It's really have to. Uh, oh, I use really? EasyJet a fair, well, a fair bit, but I mostly use British Airways. EasyJet is somewhat... But uh, no, I think in the last eight years I've used Ryanair for work purposes just once. Mm. Yeah, because EasyJet were talking last year about um, getting Wi-Fi on board their aircraft, but mm. they decided not to in the end. Um, but uh, I think Ryanair probably, well, it's, it's, they're going to make huge amounts of money on this, I expect, no doubt, charging. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they've not done it already. Some of their competitors, uh, Norwegian notably, yeah. uh, have Wi-Fi included uh, on all their services, and it's, I think the customers like it a lot. So I'm mm. a little surprised Ryanair are a, a little slow on the uptake. Yeah. Oh, well, so Pip, it's, it's very expensive, I think, I'm right to say, it's very expensive to retrofit Wi-Fi connectivity in the aircraft rather than having it, you know, built in when the aircraft is, comes out of the factory. To go back and have it installed is quite, quite a job. I, I, I don't think it's that expensive at all, personally. Oh, really? Well, I know. In terms of our, our aircraft, um, the, the new ones, as they come off the production line, have Wi-Fi. But to, mm. to go back and retrofit it, I'm told by our management that it's cost prohibitive. It's too damn expensive. Right. Yeah. Maybe they're just swapping off at it. Apologies for the Skype issue there. It's a kind of a... Of a, of a... Yeah. Issue with the line now. I think yeah. we oh, we got we got most of that pip. Yeah, I think yeah. I don't know where quite whether it's our end or your end. No, it's probably my end. Uh, end. Okay. Anyway, we got with next story then. Next pip, story then yours. with you, Pip. Oh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> this was something to do with Jet Two. I believe. Oh, it is correct. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the Wi-Fi is just slowing down. Here we go. Yeah. If you just play some uh, some elevator music for it's a splendid, second. Yeah. Ding. So, so this uh, this story then, for the benefit of, uh, no, I got it, I got it. is on the Evening Times web uh, yeah, website. Yeah, I've got it, Carlos. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, 
Yes, from the Evening Times, Jet2 announced new Spanish summer destination. Jet2.com will be flying direct from Glasgow Airport to Girona from next May. The twice-weekly route launched today forms part of the airline's summer 2016 schedule, which bosses claim is their biggest ever summer program. Chiefs are expecting it to be popular with holidaymakers travelling to nearby costs resorts, including uh, Tosa del Mar and some place I can't pronounce. <laughs> Steve Heapy, CEO of Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays, said, We promise next summer is going to be our biggest one yet. We're now making it even bigger with the launch of this popular Costa Brava destination from Glasgow Airport. Our Spanish routes are some of the most popular, so we're thrilled to be further expanding these with Girona, giving our customers even more and new exciting places to visit. Uh, this new edition shows our ongoing commitment to giving people the best choice of holiday spots direct from their local airport. I'm confident it will be extremely popular for us next year and beyond. Uh, so, well, you get the gist. Uh, Jet 2, uh, that northern airline based mostly at Manchester, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are launching new routes to summer. I think Jet 2 are coming along quite nicely, actually. Yeah, I, I think they've... I think one of their success or keys to their success, I think, has been their use of kind of not they're not having brand spanking new aircraft. Mm. They kind of their fleet. Like Ryanair then? No, 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 <laughs> not of Ryanair's fleet are new, but the Jet Two have have uh, got quite a lot of older aircraft, um, the older seven five sevens and the um, the slightly older seven three sevens and that. Mm. Rather than spending vast amounts of money on brand new aircraft, they're yeah. using perfectly good aircraft. Uh, second hand mm. as such to use on their on their well, that's why i think that story we had a few weeks ago about the 380s you know the market being tested mm. with the a380s yeah. you just think that that is that is i think the way it's going to go sorry that was my phone that's your phone in Look, I, I turned off the tardis noise because it was driving everyone the tardis nuts. one was quite good <laughs> we got some good feedback on that indeed anyway it's uh it's uh, your story yep, next, next and story. I, I chose this one especially for you oh, thank you things you're a thompson nut job oh, i do like <laughs> so harlow the uh, harlow star uk website this one and uh, the dreamliner new dreamliner airplane unveiled by thompson at stansted airport mm. Uh, the story, the plane spotters got an unexpected treat when a pa- uh, package holiday firm, Thompson, unveiled its new Boeing 787 Dreamliner at Stansted Airport. Mm. The plane touched down uh, last Friday on a, uh, for a brief visit during uh, its inaugural flight from South Carolina to Manchester. The box fresh 787 Dreamliner will be part of Thomson Airways fleet transporting 13,000 long-haul passengers from Stansted to Mexico's Caribbean coast and Orlando in Florida in summer 2016. Thomson, uh, the UK's third largest airline, was the first in the country to fly the state-of-the-art Dreamliner in 2013 and the aircraft which touched down in Essex is the ninth in its fleet. Uh, as well as its fuel economy and speed, the Dreamliner has been designed to be quieter both for those on board and people living around airports. Uh, with capacity for 300 passengers, uh, its 47 premium seats offer extra comfort and space with the latest entertainment systems and stylish accessories. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I really, really want to... I, I so want to go on a Dreamliner just to see what yeah. it's all about. Yeah, um, see what the fuss is about. Yeah, uh, definitely going to think about booking somewhere further afield next and, year for... And I, uh, and I missed it being at Stansted Airport by about three hours. Oh, Pip, have you been on the Dreamliner yet? No, I haven't, unfortunately. It's uh, I, I'd love to. I, it's a lovely-looking aeroplane. I mm. stood next to one a few weeks ago at Heathrow, and it's, yeah, mm. it's quite something to look at. I bet. I bet they are. You know, cars. if you like the 
8.7, you should check out the Bombardier CS300. It's uh, Bombardier launching a new product line, uh, a competitor to the A320s and 737s, and it kind of looks like a slightly smaller 787. Gotcha. Really? So, I've got yeah, it in front of me. I, I've never heard. I was. I just picked it up. I was listening to the Plane Geeks uh, just yesterday, taking a run. Yeah. And they were talking about this thing. I'd never heard of it, so I, I googled it, and it's a great-looking aeroplane. Yeah, it says he's he's googled it now. I should. Yeah, say. I've just looked. He's at a the... bit overexcited because it's the first time C- he's yeah, on the internet for a CS whole week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, just looking at the photos of the um, Bombardier C series. It's, it's it is it's like a little sort of mini version of the Dreamliner. Oh. The uh, the actually the. The uh, nose cone, mm. the cockpit, you know, the front fu- uh, yeah. fuselage of the aircraft is very similar mm. to uh, to the Dreamliner in its shape with that kind of sort of snout, that yeah. pointed snout with the windows and stuff. It's very, Fantastic. very similar. Well, we'll, we'll post it on the Facebook page so mm. you can have a look at uh, what, what they're, they're talking about. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, on to the next story. Next story. And the next story is with the Herald Express. And the headline is Exeter Flight Seconds from Disaster in Mystery Glider Near Miss. Uh, An Exeter-bound passenger plane came within seconds of disaster when it almost collided with a glide over over East Devon. The flyby aircraft, carrying up to 78 people, missed the unidentified light aircraft by around 300 feet on the final approach to the runway Exeter Airport in January. The airline pilot managed to avoid the collision during the busy phase of the inbound flight from Newcastle, travelling at around 200 miles an hour. The glider and its pilot have not been traced. The flyby pilot reported the risk of collision as high, but a subsequent investigation decided that there was not enough information to categorise the danger. The incident took place in uncontrolled airspace 3,000 feet above land between uh, Dunkswell Airfield and Fairway Common, uh, or Farway Common, uh, 11 miles northeast of Exeter Airport. A report by the UK Air Prox Board concluded the near collision on January the 2nd at 1.30pm was caused by a late sighting of the glider by the pilot. The report added that the primary radar system was out of service at the time of the incident after developing a fault during the Christmas break when the supplier was closed. The pilot was given no warning of the glider because it was not detected by air traffic control or Mm. the aircraft's traffic collision avoidance system. The report reads, As he approached the airport at 3,000 feet in a busy phase of flight, a glider appeared underneath them, heading approximately north. The glider appeared to be approximately three to 500 feet from them. There was a line of cloud at 3,500 feet, which the, glider was loca- uh, which the glider was located. He informed the controller, and once clear, they descended onto the glide slope. He assessed the risk of the collision was high. It's uh, it's uh, an interesting. Is that is that a common problem then? Um, I mean, I know, I know. That, I suppose it's difficult it's, when you're in uncontrolled airspace. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for those of you who use the apps Flight Radar Twenty Four mm. and Plane Finder yeah. on your phone, um, I've looked on there quite a few times just recently when I had internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, some some gliders do actually have uh, like a transponder in them, and you can see them. You can mm. actually see them on uh, on them apps where they're yeah. flying. And stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, it, I don't think it's. Uh, Pip will probably be out there and know better than me. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's sort of the the law that you must have a transponder right. in in every single glider, you know, yeah. in a glider in the UK. Yeah, no, not for gliders. Um, I I would suggest that most gliders do not have transponders. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, there's a couple of issues here with this one. Number one, the one that concerns me the most, 
is increasingly in this country, we're having um, more and more commercial operations, you know, airliner flights mm. coming into places like Exeter and South End, where there's no controlled airspace. Yeah. So it's op open class G airspace mm. for anyone to be flying around in, not talking to anyone on the radio or not um, turning on their transponder. Um, and, and in this case, as I said, the primary radar at Exeter was unserviceable for some reason. So mm. this glider would have been, you know, completely Complete, unknown yeah. to anyone. Yeah, um, that's not good, is it? No, it's not. And this is happening more and more, as I say, uh, Exeter. I mean, Exeter's a busy airport for mm. Flybe. They've got a lot of flights going in and out of there every day. So I, I wouldn't feel particularly comfortable flying around in that sort of environment with no radar coverage. No, no. I mean, uh, but there, I... there are others. South End's another one. And there are quite a few airports up in the north. It's, and it's just a... I'm more, I'm more concerned that it... That that um, the radar was out of action for, for so long. I mean, it's sort of suggesting that it broken down essentially in the lead up to Christmas. And we were sort of, you know, when this incident took place, it was still out of service because everybody was on holiday. I mean, you'd have thought there'd be a contingency plan in place for that sort of thing, wouldn't you? I mean, given, given that it's such a crucial sort of service, you know. Well, you know, I mean, radar's not the, the be-all and end-all. There are plenty of places that... Um you know, can't give a radar service for whatever reason. Maybe right. it's not broken, they're just conditions don't allow the radar to, to work particularly right. well that day. Um, but, you know, that when you're flying around in Class G airspace, the, the open airspace, as Carlos will tell you, the, the primary rule is see and avoid. It's, right. it's down to both okay. pilots to be looking right. out the window. For each other, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but it's very hard if you're in a, a high-performance aircraft like a Dash 8 whizzing along at 250 knots and mm. you've got a glider effectively just st standing still, flying around in circles as it tries to catch its thermals. Yeah. Uh, you know, extremely hard to spot. Mm. Well, and he's, I mean, it says in the report that he was sort of travelling around about 200 miles an hour, wasn't he? So, you know, on his on his approach. So, Well, that's it. You know, yeah. if these gliders are, are hiding behind clouds mm. and being sneaky like that, it's, mm. you know, it's a, how, how, a disaster waiting to happen. How, well, exactly. And how, how do you go about, you know, curing that? Is, is the answer to ensure that all gliders have transponders in them? Possibly, that's that would be one way. Uh, and uh, in that way, you know, if they had a transponder, then it would have shown up on the Dash 8s, the uh, Flybe's TCAS system. Yeah. So he would have been able to see that. There is something called FLAM, which is like a, a poor man's uh, TCAS. Right. Which many increasingly gliders are, are adopting now. It's kind of like a, well, it's kind of like a TCAS. It's, yeah. It alerts uh, gliders about other nearby gliders, but it should also work for any transponding aircraft, I yeah. think. So it's just a, an, another way, even if it's just a blip, as you say, that that, that shows up in in your cockpit as as the pilot to to, to know that. But well, that's it. You might even if it, even if just to tell you you've got something to watch out for, you know. Exactly so. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it is a difficult one. Let's hope they uh, they they solve it. Really. Uh, next story, then, Pip. This is for you. Okay, this is a Heathrow story. Yes. Expanded Heathrow would be UK's best value-for-money infrastructure project. Uh, okay, so the story says this, an expanded Heathrow would be UK's best value-for-money infrastructure project, according to a new analysis of the Airports Commission research and HM Treasury data. In a speech to the Aviation Club, Heathrow CEO John Holland Kay will say that politicians could have confidence that expanding the nation's airport hub would be a phenomenal investment in the future of the UK and create an economic legacy for the next generation. Independent analysis. Start that again. Independent analysis of the airport's commission's most optimistic scenario by research company Quad shows that a third runway at Heathrow would have a benefit-cost ratio 
of up to 10.2, whatever that means, <laughs> making it by far the best value approved or proposed infrastructure project in the UK. Uh, the Airports Commission has assessed that Heathrow expansion would create up to £211 billion of economic growth and 180,000 jobs across Britain. It also finds that expanding the UK's only hub would require a public contribution of £3.9 billion for surface uh, access improvements. Using the Commission's scale of economic benefits from its more conservative central case to the most optimistic, an expanded Heathrow would have a BCR of between 4.1 and 10.2, making it very high value for money. Heathrow believes that only 1.2 billion in public contribution would be necessary, which would triple its value for money. So, I mean, well, you get the gist of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is it? Um, I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, I, I'm kind of. I don't know if I agree with this story. I'd be I'd be more keen for them to develop like the outer lining. Um, you know, like the the regional airports. I mean, surely that seems the most sensible way to go. I I, I don't know. Is it is it is it? Uh, what's the what's the most? Uh... I was always a supporter of Boris Island. Actually, <laughs> yeah, we've covered that, haven't we, in the yeah. few episodes before? Yeah. I just reading the arguments, I, it just seemed to me that the, the Boris Island made more sense. Mm. As much as I'd like to see Heathrow expanded, and we desperately need it. You know, the yeah. Every time Definitely. going into London, it's just a, a nightmare with holding. Mm, I can just imagine. Just because, you know, they just haven't got the capacity to get the aircraft on the ground quick enough. So, yeah. you know, for sure we need something, Heathrow, Gatwick or otherwise. Do you, do you find yourself, um, when you're flying, I mean, you're obviously flying to Heathrow. Um, I, I presume you're flying to Heathrow quite a bit. Well, not quite a bit. We do. Um, usually it's the other London airports we go to. Heathrow, uh, our passengers would rather not because it's so damn expensive oh, okay. yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know gatwick and, and luton Stansted, the others but yeah we're flown to do, you, do you tend to do you tend to find certain airports have uh longer sort of holding um and sort of times different part times of the day where you fly into yeah i mean heathrow it almost doesn't matter what time of the day you arrive it's mm. you, you can pretty well guarantee a 10 maybe 15 minute holding Really? Um, it's kind of a similar story with Gatwick, although not quite so severe. And the others, actually, Luton, Stansted, I can't ever recall having to hold for one of those. It's pretty, pretty direct London. You know, get you across the top mm. of the uh, the traffic, uh, going into Heathrow, and you get straight into to Luton, no problems. I'll put you. I'll put you on the spot, Pip. What's what, what's the nicest airport to deal with in the UK as a pilot? Can open worms everywhere. (laughs) They're all fine, to be honest. I mean, it's only as a passenger, I I could name airports and say that one's nice or that one's not nice. But Mm. from you know, from a pilot interacting with air traffic control, it's they're all brilliant. Uh, No problems at all. You could absolutely you know rely one hundred percent on the guys to give you a decent service. Well, that that that's good. That's actually good news, really. <laughs> yeah, I I listen to. I mean, Pip probably does as well. LiveATC.net, fantastic site. Right, and you can listen to live ATC feeds from around the world, not the UK, I might add. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but when you listen to some of the American, the feeds from uh, JFK and that, and some of the controllers there, uh, they're almost sort of sort of comical comedian. You know, they, oh, they're really jovial. <laughs> some of them are really jovial people. I wonder what I don't think you get the the same sort of thing here in the UK though, Pip. No, we uh, as much <laughs> as I uh, we're far like more our serious. American cousins, their their approach to radio usage can be a little um, more relaxed <laughs> than us. 
uh, we, uh, you know, we quite like our procedures and our, our correct use of, of radio phraseology. But if you if you enjoy a bit of a colloquial, um, you know, laid back uh, air traffic controlling, have a listen to Amsterdam air traffic control. They're All pretty right. relaxed and groovy. <laughs> oh, well, they all sound like to, radio yeah. DJs. Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong nothing with that. Wrong with I'll them. Have you know, no, nothing wrong at all. It's just quite funny when you're, uh, you know, flying around and uh, you think you're listening to jazz FM. Charlie FM, yes. Yeah. Gad- Gadwick <laughs> FM, yeah. bringing the aircraft in. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you, you you clearly need a career change, Carlos. I know. That's, that's I'm just I'm, uh, that's because I'm doing a wedding this evening. I'm getting into the swing oh, of things a, ready. Yeah, you no. see, yeah. Brace yourselves, everyone. This could get a bit cheesy. I know. <laughs> so moving on then to our next story uh, on the Press and Journal website: Helicopter Sparks Emergency at Aberdeen Airport. An offshore helicopter sparked a full emergency at Aberdeen Airport um, la- uh, last week, and uh, police, ambulance, and fire crews were called to the airport after concerns were raised for an incoming CHC Scotia run helicopter at 2:55 p.m. The EC225 model aircraft had two crew and four passengers on board. It was coming into Aberdeen from an offshore platform when a cockpit light went off, triggering the emergency response. Three fire appliances, one from Dyson, two from North uh, Anderson Drive, attended, but the helicopter landed safely at 3.20pm. A spokeswoman for CHC Scotia said a cockpit light was illuminated. They never say what light it is. <laughs> There's a lot of lights on the, on, you know, right. on the flight deck of an air, any aircraft. Um, um, uh, yeah, it, 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 emergency services uh, came as matter of protocol and the airport alerted uh, all the relevant emergency services at the time. As you'd expect, it will be inspected before it returns into service. A spokeswoman for Aberdeen International Airport said it had six people on board and landed safely and it was coming in from offshore. Oh. A police spokeswoman said we were made aware of concerns for an, uh, an aircraft coming into land uh, that came into land just before 3 p.m. And the response teams were stood down at 3.25. Oh. So we've had a story similar to this before, haven't we, with um, offshore helicopters having mm. having issues and stuff. Um, yeah. But um, they always generally tend to sort of you know, end in, uh, in in a safe landing. Mm. But uh, as I said, they never they just say a light illuminate. They don't say low warning, low oil pressure, fuel. You know, it may be it because be they a... don't want to worry you and me, Mister Joe Schmo, publicly. It may be. Oh, I know. But we like to know. Do we? No, yes. I don't like to know. It's just like unless it's going to actually hit the ground, hide as much information from me as possible. I, don't, I really don't want to know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that when Pip's flying his uh, his lovely luxurious aircraft, that he sort of sees a light come on and goes, "Oh look, a light! Oh, that's nice," and then carries on flying. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm pretty sure that he, um, he yeah, you know, he knows what that light is. Yeah, I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he ever has any lights come on, no, of course. No, no, because no, 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 as as we all know, Pip does a full check on his aircraft course, before he goes anywhere. Yes, but that's it, right. In, in, fair, in fairness to him, though, you can do the most rigorous check in the morning, and uh, you know you can be th- things you know will crop up uh, in the flight. You know, I do a thorough vehicle inspection on my coach before I take it out, but every now and again you'll get a red light come up because you've no idea why, and you have to stop and find out why, and then decide whether it's serious. <laughs> that's or just the Wi-Fi is not working. That's just the Wi-Fi. No, that's, you know, the kids <laughs> normally do that. They're screaming at me saying, "Man, the Wi-Fi doesn't work." But, oh uh, dear! Oh dear! Next story. And just to then. clarify, oh. I do oh, yeah. know what at least seventy percent of the lights do. 
Oh, 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 at least seven. Oh, I'm <laughs> really? I, 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 I'd say I'm lucky if I know what thirty percent of the lights mean on the co- on the control panel of my coach. To be honest, <laughs> well, no, but there's like I weird mean, things about gearboxes and stuff. It's like I mean, if that light comes on, it's just like I need a mechanic. <laughs> just before you move on, guys, have you ever been up to Aberdeen Airport? No, where the no. story was come from. No, I haven't. It's it's quite impressive. It's if you look up the you know the UK's busiest airports, Aberdeen, I suspect, would be ranked very highly. Really? It's, yeah, um, as long as, as, as well as uh, a lot of aircraft, you know, airliners going in and mm. out, BMI regional and, and BA and all the rest of it. It's amazing, the helicopter traffic going in and out. It's unreal. It's just a constant stream. It's like Heathrow. You know, you go and stand at the end of Heathrow and you see for miles aircraft on the approach. It's the same with helicopters at Aberdeen. They're just constantly in and out doing their offshore work for the oil rigs. I mean, it is, it, it, it is a hub, isn't it, for, for virtually all North Sea act, activity, even uh, people I know. For, I think Norwich, Norwich has a reasonable amount, I think, but that's for sort of from East Anglia. But I'm swear, I, I swear uh, virtually all aircraft almost uh, go out. Of that. Is there much else other than sort of that uh, Aberdeen, would you say? Well, I, mostly helicopters. As I say, there's a, quite mm. a few scheduled services in there. Uh, BMI Regional, Eastern Airways, Scott Airways, mm. I think BA has a couple of flights in and out, but yeah, uh, yeah helicopters, tons so, of them. Just as we've, just as you've been talking about that, Bib, I have just gone on, oh, here and we go. here we go, uh-huh. <laughs> and I've got the top twenty uh, busiest airports in the UK right. by um, aircraft movements. Okay, and Aberdeen comes in at number fifteen. Oh, really? With a hundred and nineteen thousand eight hundred and thirty-one. Are they including um, the helicopters, though? Is is that is that? It's a... aircraft movements. Oh, okay. But that is a couple of years out of date, so okay. that could all that be could different. Well yeah, it could well have changed. No, that's true. Anyway, on to the next story. It's a Ryanair story. It is a Ryanair story, and it's been saved especially for me, given that I flew with them last week. We'll talk about that another time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that was not the most pleasant experience I've ever had. Anyway, uh, this is on the independent uh, website, and it's Ryanair passenger numbers jump by 16% to 9.5 million in May, and I'm not at all surprised given how busy this particular route that I was on was. Ryanair reported a 16% hike in passenger numbers to 9.5 million for the month of May. And I can't read that story because the text disappeared. Oh, it has. Yeah, the text has disappeared. <laughs> well, that's very that's bizarre. That's rather strange. Hang on a minute. Uh, let's try skipping the survey and see if... There we go. There we go. go. We're it's back on. Marvellous, yes. Gould help. Uh, the... Oh, hello. Sorry, the security alarm's just gone off. One moment. <laughs> the Alfie alarm. <laughs> the Alfie alarm. Uh, this compared to 8.2 million um, passengers carried by the airline in the same period last year, an increase of 1.3 million. The load factor, or how many seats it fills on each flight, also jumped to 92% from 85% compared with the same period last year. So far, Ryanair's rolling annual traffic has increased by 13% to 93.1 million customers. Ryanair Chief Marketing Officer Kenny Jacobs put the increase in traffic down to the company's stronger forward bookings and the continuing success of our always getting better customer experience improvement programme. He said Ryanair customers can now look forward to further service enhancements as we roll out year two of our always getting better programme in 2015 which includes a new website new app and reduced fees. More on the fees later. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> oh dear! You've had some fun with them, then, have you, man? Uh, I, I, I was a bit confused. It wasn't until I realised what was actually going on. I was a bit confused to start off with because it, it, it was, we were very late leaving, um, and uh, I, I, I rushed, literally rushed from work up to Stansted to get uh, to catch my flight to Edinburgh. To then discover that whilst we were sitting there waiting, it's after we got there that they then informed us that we were delayed. So once we'd all sort of rushed our way through to boarding, and I guess that's a standard procedure because you want every, all the passengers just to be where where you want them to be but of course you know what certainly at Stansted when you've gone on the little monorail to to where where these flights go out the, the, the facilities once you get to that part of the airport are incredibly limited I think that's a fair way to say it say it's like if we knew that it was going to be an hour and a half it was if we knew it was gonna be an hour late leaving before we left board you know you could almost I don't know why they don't just move boarding up a bit so that you can at least stay in the main part of the you know the airport amusing yourself um but it was apparently adverse weather conditions over Dublin as to the reason why the connecting you know the flight coming in because it it went from Dublin to Stansted and then Mm. it went Stansted to Edinburgh which is where I was going but uh, they didn't make that very very clear until sort of later on you just you just had a late flight I guess but uh, it's uh, easy for me to say that because I'm just the humble passenger who's annoyed because the flight is late going i mean it's uh, the more and more i get involved in this show the more sympathy you, you I have should have you respects. should have worn your t-shirt i should have worn my t-shirt. when you were boarding the aircraft right okay mm. as long as they didn't punch me that was <laughs> <laughs> hey talking of t-shirts did you uh, see captain jeff we certainly did yes yeah. yeah i was just watching now i have internet while i'm at matt's house yes. <laughs> um, i did watch the video on uh, on uh-huh. youtube yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's kind of yeah, it's kind good, of weird yeah. seeing him wear the t-shirt yes well i i just caught the tweet uh saying that they were recording live so i thought all right i'll go and i'll go and watch this for half an hour yeah. so i logged on and noticed he was wearing this t-shirt uh-huh. and then it took me about 10 minutes but Purely coincidentally, I was wearing exactly the same T-shirt. No. Oh. <laughs> I took a picture of myself with the T-shirt with the Captain Jeff on the laptop. And oh, fantastic. tweeted it to him. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, oh, I, sh- I need to say thank you, by the way, for that T-shirt. It's great. I uh, really like it. It's a really oh, good, good quality T-shirt, by the way. The embroidery oh, a bit, bit on the front. Of fruit of the thank loom you. quality on yeah, there, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah the, the, the uh, T-shirt manufacturing um, um, woman who who does the T-shirts. Um, uh, the lovely Mary. The lovely Mary. Yes. She's uh, yeah. She does a really good job. It's She's kind of kind of a, yeah. a kind of a back sort of back of the build or back of the cottage sort of um, workshop she's got sort of thing isn't it yeah oh no it's fact well and nobody no nobody makes t-shirts like she we have our work shirts and everything i mean she, anybody in this in this area uses mary for her t-shirts and stuff and you can see why because they are all such good quality yeah anyway i'm anyway, uh, glad next, you liked it anyway Pip. next yeah, story because you're rapidly running out of time so if we can try and get yep <laughs> yep Pip, this is your one Okay, this is a Bristol Airport story. Bristol Airport. Harnessing digital to enhance passenger experience. Digital is playing a crucial role in Bristol Airport's continued growth. The airport handles 6.3 million passengers annually, and planning permission is in place for facilities to handle 10 million passengers. Work is well underway on an eastern terminal extension, which is set for completion in July. Bristol Airport's new customer-focused responsive website will play an, immediate, an important role in delivering a great experience to that growing passenger base. In particular, this reflects the growth in mobile and tablet visits to the airport's website, which overtook desktop visits in 2014. Mm. Uh, oh, can you really tell how how people are visiting your website? If it's from yes, a you mobile can. Or a, yeah, hmm, the, interesting. Uh, the, the, the how you do it um, is essentially uh, every... 
every device. So even if you even if you use Chrome on your laptop, Chrome on your your phone, say Chrome on your tablet, um, it actually mentions which when you look at the statistics, it actually tells you which browser has done it, and that's how you tell essentially. So it will mm. it will say that it was Chrome on the iPad or or Chrome on your laptop. So yes, in in short in short, yes, very easy wow. to find. Big Brother find. is watching. Very much so. Yes. Anyway, okay. Uh, this continues. This project is the first major investment in the Bristol Airport website for over four years, bringing it up to today's standards in terms of consumer expectations. Isabel Weitzman, head of digital Bristol Airport, commented, it enabled us to completely overhaul the design content and functionality to reflect the changing digital landscape and, most importantly, the continued growth in mobile transactions. There were four key aims with the new website to enhance the user experience, create seamless, consistent web experience, whatever the device, whether on desktop, tablet or mobile, to support growth in e-commerce and car bookings in particular, to support customer service and overall airport experience, and to inspire travel on Bristol Airport route network and support its airline and tour operator partners. See, I, I think, um, I, I must admit, I very rarely actually go to the airport's website because, I mean, you know, I book my flight through Ryanair as an example, but I also do my car hire and, and my transfers and everything. I mean, Mr. O'Leary really does have me hooked, frankly. Do you I, do them all on the oh, I See, do I go to separate places. Yeah, I know, but, yeah. you know, it's, I get stressed if I leave and, you know, it's like, at least when I've done it all at one, all at once, there's one person to shout at. Do you know <laughs> if it all goes horribly wrong? I don't know. I, I don't. I, just, I guess I don't visit the websites of these airports um, very much. The only time I ever check the website is if I'm waiting for a flight to come in. If I'm collecting somebody from the airport, and then I tend to go to Stansted's website to find out, you know, what time it's delayed by. <laughs> I, I just use Flight Radar, and I uh, think, oh, there they are. Well, I probably would do now. Now that I've heard of it, yes. <laughs> Flight radar is a fantastic tool because yeah. it often gives you more information than the you know the desk agent or whoever at the airport yeah. has got. Definitely. I've a few times Definitely. been there and the flight's been delayed or something, uh, and you, know, you ask them a question and they fob you off with something, and you can hold up flight radar and say, "Ah, hang on, because look." This is a live picture. There's your aircraft nope. there. It's still in Blooming Timbuktu. And that's exactly what I did because I was the one that found out that this flight was delayed because um, I got because because Carl made me and sort of you know made sure I got the app on my phone and everything before and I went and I had a look at because it was eight eight four four was my outgoing FR eight eight four four and I looked at it and I thought well hang on a minute it's now on its way from Ireland what's going on and of course when I looked at the stats it then said that it was delayed and it was doing this and it was doing that so I told all these people. People around me in the airport who were all very impressed that I had this information that security was, you know, that that, that Ryanair themselves weren't giving us. It's uh, no, I, I actually I agree with you very much. It is a fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I sometimes get the feeling that uh, airlines are not giving the passenger quite enough credit. They think they're, you know, yeah. not quite as sophisticated as they are. Funnily enough, actually, I was uh, Lisbon a while ago, and with an EasyJet flight, and it got delayed. And I mm. went onto the EasyJet website, and. All credit to EasyJet that I clicked on a couple of links and it had a full explanation of why the aircraft was late, where it was, what wow. time was expected. And it matched exactly what I was seeing on, on flight radar as well. I was quite impressed with that. Well, I, I think that's the way they need to go in general, isn't it? I like Yeah, they it. must know that this information's mm. out there and it's, yeah. you know, more and more people know how to access it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and all these airports have free Wi-Fi in them and mm. certainly the one the, the Wi-Fi at Stansted was pretty blooming quick, actually. It was, despite hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all using it. And they're, they're both free apps. Mm, you know, there are pay versions, but they are both, yeah. free, you can download them for free for your um, yeah. smartphone. 
Anyway, Pip, um, it is it is now ten o'clock, so we really ought to say goodbye to you. I think. Yes, we? I've got a I've got twenty minutes to pack up my yep. stuff and uh, oh, check out blimey. the yeah. Check out the five star luxury yeah, uh, penthouse suite that you're in, Pip. <laughs> that's it. I'll, I'll tidy away all the the food service in the mini bar. And... Yeah, absolutely, quite right, uh, Pip. As always, it, it has been a real pleasure. Let's uh, hopefully our paths will cross again soon. We've got a segment uh, from you to play out a bit later, which we will do. Okay, so thank... great. Yeah, I recorded that one last night. I hope it's not too dry. No, 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 no. no. We, we've we've uh, put some water in it, so it's, yeah, it's okay. fine. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yes. Okay. Well, very nice talking to you, chaps. And so, you take safe yeah. flight. Strap on a jet. Sa- it... Yeah, safe, uh, safe flying, Pip, and tailwinds and clear skies and all that. Well, yes. you have got clear skies because it's lovely and blew up there today. Good. It was thunderstorms all over the place yesterday. Oh, oh yeah, no. weren't there? Oh yeah. Yeah. My boss was hi- spent most of it hiding under a desk. It has to be said. Mm. Uh, Lorraine is not keen on thunderstorms. <laughs> I don't think many people are. But, no, yeah. no. Especially if you're in pilots. an aeroplane. No. Yeah. no well, take care, Pip. All the best, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Um, so, from me, Carlos, safe flying, Pip. Thank you, Carlos. Take yeah. care, guys. Yeah. Take care, mate. Bye. See you Bye. Bye. That was nice of oh, was, uh, Pip to join us, wasn't it? Oh, bless him! Yeah, oh. it's a shame he, shame he had to go, but uh, we appreciate your time, Pip, as always. Yeah, we do definitely. Yeah. He's now off um, packing, frantically oh, packing his case to go and get on his lovely, to, yeah. lovely flying jet. from the south of France to oh. somewhere else, Geneva, and then possibly oh, back to, to the, the south France. of France. Ooh. What a horrible life Pip oh, leads. Well, to be fair to him, he will have had to work damn hard to get where he is, so I don't begrudge him at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just seething with jealousy, that's all. <laughs> don't forget, uh, uh, you can uh, catch Pip on his uh, yes. his show, The Plane Safety Podcast. You can see that, and I'll catch it on iTunes and we, download it on there. We were, um, did, we were discussing before we started, he's got a very exciting one coming up very soon. He's yes, got he a, has. He's got a, he's got a, we a know that guest. he's got a special guest yes, on. absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, make sure you catch that, as I say, Plane Safety UK, is it no? Plane Safety Podcast. Podcast. So no, it's Captain Jeff confusing us because he calls us know. the Plane Safety UK <laughs> thing when he's. Yes. Oh, a big thank you as well. While we're on the subject, yes. a big thanks to, to uh, Captain Jeff yes. over at the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, he, he recently released his latest episode um, on YouTube and on iTunes, yeah. and he was wearing one of our t shirts. Captain Jeff, you <gasps> have achieved something which I didn't think was possible because finally, as his background is no longer the the ill-fated TriStar that he's absolutely obsessed by <laughs> and the Lockheed Watts it. He's actually got a picture of you wearing the T-shirt on his on his Windows backdrop at the yes. moment. So well done for sort of branching out. It's like, it's like having royalty on my laptop <laughs> now. very much yeah, so, with, yes. with Jeff on there, yeah. So thanks yeah. again, Jeff, for that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, for the play. and he's right, actually. It's, you don't realise how different the sizes are depending on whether you're yes. in Scotland, whether you're in the UK or whether you're abroad. It's, it's crazy, really. You'd think it would be... You'd think that XL or XXL would, would be... be would be that Global. regardless of country mm, but no mm. apparently not so we'll, we better move on with the we news had, yes yeah your go your go flight global for so you. yeah flight global this one and iata track uh, flight tracking efforts gather momentum mm. uh, malaysian airlines is introducing a flight tracking capability this summer just over a year since the disappearance of its mh370 service to beijing spurred a, a proliferation of technologies aimed at ensuring aircraft locations can be permanently monitored uh, but while flight tracking is being marketed as an advancement in safety, the dilemma centred on the capability or uh, cap- uh, capabilities to disable such systems remains uncomfortable and so far unresolved. Malaysian Airlines' implementation of CETA uh, on-air aircom flight tracking service follows the loss of MH370 and its three, uh, 239 occupants in March last year. 
No trace of the Boeing 777-200ER has been found despite an extensive ocean search off Western Australia. Navigation organisations Air Services Australia is leading a test uh, of enhanced oceanic flight tracking in which Malaysian authorities will participate. Uh, aimed at assessing a new 15-minute minimum surveillance interval agreed during a high-level ICAO gathering in February. This interval will shorten to five minutes or less if an aircraft deviates unexpectedly from track by 200 feet in altitude or two nautical miles. Satellite communication specialist Imarsat, which uncovered a few brief transmissions that gave the only clue to MH370's location, is supporting the test. But Air Services Chair Angus Houston has cautioned that deliberate interference already strongly suspected by investigators examining MH370's loss could easily undermine flight tracking efforts if the capability exists to disable onboard communication links, including the ADSC transmissions that the test will be based on. Um, while the system was operating, we know exactly where the aircraft was, but if somebody had to uh, had turned the system off, we're in the same set of circumstances as we've expect, experienced with MH370. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, or the NTSB, investigators recommended earlier this year that the aircraft uh, operating extended over water route should be fitted with tamper-resistant technology to identify its position down to a radius of six nautical miles in the event of a loss. Um, I mean, this is something we've talked about in the past before, and I think there should be some definitely on aircraft that fly transatlantic and across large yeah. stretches of water. There should be some kind of onboard satellite pinging Agreed. transponder yeah. system that well, cannot be tampered with well, by and I, anyone. And I, I chose this story because more because I was surprised. I, 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 I thought that was already in place. Do you know what I mean? It's, there, uh, I mean, there is, but it's very patchy. Some of the, right, uh, coverage, the coverage areas right. are not brilliant. Okay. And as the story says, mm. uh, the particular systems that the aircraft have on board mm. can be switched off by one of the pilots. Yeah. I mean, it's all very well having this tamper-proof stuff, but at the end of the day, you can get into nothing is tamper-proof. Mm. The, the only the only thing that a tamper tamper things it shows that when you get the aircraft back, that it's been tampered with. Mm. So if if you then take the transponder offline anyway, you haven't gained anything because the aircraft is already missing. Mm. It, it just I mean? it it just shows though, Matt, that even with all the masses amounts yeah. of amazing technology we have in this world, yeah. if you're really determined, that there are still parts of the world mm. that you can fly in and mm. not be seen, and not be seen. Yeah, I mean that's the most shocking thing about the entire story, isn't it? Mm. Is, is like, and the sad the thing board. is, as well as the story says, we still haven't found this aircraft. No, it's no. still. Missing. More for the sake of the families involved. That, yeah, that, that's the very issue, sad indeed. I mean, you know, and the, air, the aircraft essentially is an inanimate object, isn't it? And it's very sad that it's gone missing. But it's just, as you say, but I, they're continuing to search. They are continuing to search, mm. and I, I'm just, as I say, I'm genuinely surprised that. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the thing that we learn from this story, though, is that <laughs> the thing is, is that te- there are versions of this technology already there, but it was still tampered with. I mean, how do you mm. stop? St- how do you stop it from being turned off? How do you? have that stop it from from pinging the outside world i, I don't know what the answer mm. is you know i mean if you if you're that determined you'll you'll do it you'll just find another way around it won't i you? think one of, one of the things that really shocked me you know going mm. going on a similar sort of subject yeah. as this for location and stuff mm. like that many years ago on our honeymoon mm. as you'll know when that was 2011 yes, yes. 
and we went to a very small island yeah. in the Maldives. Lovely. In the South Atoll, mm. sort of in the Indian Ocean sort of side. A small island, middle of nowhere. Yeah. There, there wasn't nothing for miles around yeah. us, you know, not a seaplane journey away at least. No. Yet... I mean, we. I took our mobile so we could phone home, mm. and we had full, full, full yeah, yeah. signal, three G signal. It was <laughs> the the bars couldn't have got any higher on my yeah, phone. Yeah. The it signal was, was fantastic. So, yeah, you know, and we were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um. So, and I don't know. I just hope they do implement something soon mm. um, on aircraft to to solve this issue. Yeah. Well, if anybody's got any suggestions, any ideas, and that, as I say, do do get in touch because uh, mm. it is a fascinating subject. I mean, how do you make it? Uh, you know, there, there are systems out there, but do you? How do you make it so they can't turn it off? Mm. Mm. So, next story. The next story. Now, th- this one I, I chose more because it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Yeah, I have to be honest. <laughs> this is on the Guardian's website, and it took me a little bit by surprise, uh, as I'm sure it will. You student changes name by deed poll to avoid two hundred and twenty pound Ryanair admin fee. This is a bizarre story, uh, and it's basically Adam Armstrong says changing his name and getting a new passport for £103 was cheaper than changing his ticket. Adam Armstrong, 19, was presented with a £220 administration fee after his girlfriend's stepfather mistakenly reserved a seat to Ibiza uh, for him with the budget airline under the surname of West. Armstrong, who is studying for a foundation degree in digital marketing at Leeds City College, changed his name to West for free and drove drove to Liverpool to rush through a new passport costing £103. Several airlines charge more than £100 to make minor changes to bookings, as highlighted by The Guardian in the past. And in fact, We've covered it quite regularly uh, on our show too. Armstrong said her, sta- uh, her stepdad uh, got my name from Facebook, but I had put it as Adam West as a joke because it was, because he was the actor who played Batman on TV. Ryanair were not helpful at all. We showed them that we were not trying to change the person, just the name, but they wouldn't back down. Ryanair pride themselves on being a customer-centric business. It just seems like a joke when they wouldn't change the name. I just thought it was completely ridiculous. All they needed to do was hit the backspace key on a keyboard and that's and they wanted to charge him £220 for that particular privilege. Armstrong from Manchester and his girlfriend, Indian, India Lomas, 17, are flying to Ibiza on the 11th of June with families and friends for uh, a week-long stay. The administration fee was £110 for each leg of the journey. Ryanair is known for tempting customers in with cheap fares but demanding fees for anything from printing boarding passes at the airport to checking in uh, additional bags. The airline's boss, Michael O'Leary, once mooted charging passengers to use the toilet mid-flight, but the plans never came into fruition. Armstrong urged other travellers faced with a similar dilemma to think outside the box and find a way around the system. Most airlines impose a charge if a passenger name needs to be changed according to Bob Atkinson uh, a tra- at travelsupermarket.com the typical fee is anything between 25 and 40 pounds Norwegian Air and Thompson Airways charge 25 pounds plus the difference in the original fare and at its current price uh, Monarch charges £100 for a name change or £120 if this is done at the airport. Ryanair charges the most at £110 or £160 if you do it at the airport. If you are booking for anyone who's not your immediate family, then before you make the booking, ask to make sure that you have the name that appears on their passport, is the advice that Atkinson has given. I mean, it's a, it's in, in one way, it's an amusing story, um, but it's it just highlights how ridiculous the charge is in the fact that it's cheaper to 
change your name by deed poll, which is free, and then to pay the £107 that it costs to have your passport changed into that name in order to uh, avoid an o- over £200. I mean, if you take the fuel involved in going to Liverpool, even if we had to go to Liverpool from here, it would still be cheaper to do <laughs> yeah. that, you know, and just change one letter of your name if you spelt Smith wrong or you, you spelt re- it with two Fs or something like that. Realistically, you know? Matt, how much... Do you think it costs Ryanair to do something? Well, it doesn't something, cost them anything at all, but, does it? They're making think, a point. They're making a point, aren't they? Yeah. I know, it's crazy, though. I, I, I feel for him because, he's, you know, his stepdad is, you know, just, just you know, a family holiday, uh, all going away, just, you know, spoil, spoiling the, 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 the children as well. And you just sort of take the surname off Facebook and not realise that, you know, he's written it he's pretending he's batman essentially and it's just it's just i mean it's ridiculous isn't it the whole thing is ridiculous it's uh, as you say and it highlights perfectly how ridiculous these charges are really when it comes to these so-called admin fees especially when most of them are charging between i can understand anything between 25 and 40 pounds that seems sensible i just reminded me actually yeah good one Matt, because yes. um, we've we've booked already booked our flights months ago to, to Malta yes. in September yes, 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 yes. with EasyJet. Yes, and I've just thought that I'm going to have to go online and just change my address details on um, Ooh, the website yes, for EasyJet are, for our flights. Yeah, mm, be interesting to see if they charge me for changing my address. That's a good point. And I if they do, yeah. I shall not be very happy. No. Hmm. No, that's, we'll see. Well, um, that's true because it is a legal requirement that you no- yeah. notify oh, yeah. them of a change of address. Although your passport doesn't have a change of address, no passport doesn't. No, that's still the same. Um, um, but we are. I, I shall. I shall let. We'll, I'll keep you informed. Yeah, I should investigate because if mm. they only use your address for, as a method of charging your card, yeah. then the address is no longer required. We'll see. It'd be interesting. We'll yeah, see, yeah, we'll yeah. see is, what happens. Is it a, somebody out there can maybe tell us? Is it a legal requirement that the address that they have for you be be valid, other than yeah. when you're charging the card? Because they've already taken the money for it, haven't they? So, they have. Yeah, so, the flights are paid for. Yeah, exactly. and they're not till September. No. Um, but like I said, as I've just moved home, hmm. be interesting to see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do keep us posted yes, on we'll that. Do. That is fascinating. So for our last story, for the last story, I've saved you a nice little top ten. Woo-hoo. He does like a top. Uh, this is on Flight Global, and it is ooh la la. Ooh la la. The, ooh la la. Sorry, I'm not doing it right, am I? It's ooh la la, the top 10 all French flies to coincide with Dassault's glitzy rollout of the wide-body Falcon 5X business ooh. jet on the 2nd of June. And as the aerospace industry prepares to travel to Le Bourget for the Paris Air Show, our top 10 feature looks at some of the most significant and iconic French aircraft of the post-Second <laughs> World War era. So, in at number 10. So, at number 10, it is the Socata Rally. And uh, this is a... Or the Socata Rally 235C, <laughs> Gabia. Mm. Um, it's a maritime... Uh, or actually, no, hold on, let's go scroll down to there. Yes. There we go. Um, it's a... Well, what can I say? It's a single-engined. Yes. It's um, twin seat, and it's uh, a piston-engined aircraft. Yeah. Uh, built in France after the Second World War, um, serving as a springboard for many pilots and engineers. And um, 
More than 3,000 of these were delivered in over a 21-year period, ending in 1982. It doesn't look that dissimilar to what you're learning to fly in now, actually, does it? No, the wings look slightly stubbier. But, oh, do they? Uh, yeah, it's, that's a Sakata Rally 235C mm-hmm. Gebier. At number nine. At number nine, it is the Brigitte. 1150 Atlantique, French in the French Navy colours. A maritime patrol is a demanding position, part surface bomber and part submarine hunter-killer in wartime. <laughs> it's most often used in peacetime on rescue missions to detect stranded vessels and sailors. It demands a big aircraft enough to carry a heavy load, fly long-duration missions and yet be nimble enough to make manoeuvres at low altitude. Since the early 1960s, the Brigitte Atlantique and the Dassault-built Atlantic II has performed in the same class as the USA's Lockheed P-3C Orion. Oh, there it is, the Lockheed again. Anyway, at number eight. At number eight, it's the Dassault Raphael. Uh, like a dusty bottle from the Chateau Dassault <laughs> cellar, the Raphael is aging as an aging beauty. Mm. The concept was launched in the late 1970s and the first operational fighter appeared around 14 years ago. Egypt became the first export customer early this year, followed by Qatar, and sales negotiations are at last heating up with the Indian Air Force. Now possessing an active electronically scanned array radar, advanced electronic warfare equipment, and an infrared search and track capability, the world is beginning to appreciate the multi-role dexterity of the jewel of French Air Force and Navy fleets. That's the Dassault uh, Raphael. Number nine. Uh, no, number seven. Number seven. <laughs> number seven, oh, the no. Dassault Falcon <laughs> 7X. That's a bizarre looking um, aircraft, isn't it? It's a three-engine jet, a three-holer, as they called. Uh, for a business jet, there are advantages to being associated with a fighter manufacturer. Dassault pioneered the development of fly-by-wire controls with the Mirage 2000 fighter. The flagship Falcon 7X Trijet was the first member of Dassault's elite lineup of business jets to benefit from the technology. Complemented by Honeywell Primus Epic Avionics and Pratt & Whitney Canada PW307A turbofan engines, the Falcon 7X is an established class leader in the most executive club of long-range business jets. That is a very nice-looking aeroplane. That looks lovely, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, oh, I love the three-engine thing. I, I like to think that's the sort of plane that Pip flies. Yeah, yeah. Just take the top engine off. And really? You're not far oh, off there, really? yeah. Anyway, number six. Number six, the Dassault Mirage mm. 6. This looks angry. Um, <laughs> God, this is a really good Delta Wing aircraft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, through sharing a name on an equal overall appearance with a series of Delta Winged Dassault fighters, the Mirage 6 was quite different as the backbone of France's nuclear deterrent capability for three decades. The Mirage 6 played a critical role in the nation's post-war history. It posed no idle threat, powered by a pair of Snecma Attar jets. The Mirage 6 could climb to 65,000 feet and accelerate to Mach 2.2 and delivered the AN-11 or AN-22 nuclear bombs at ranges of up to about 670 nautical miles, or 1,240 kilometres. Am I the only one that sort of, like, shakes nervously when the word nuclear appears? I know, that's rather worrying. (laughs) Number five. Number five, the Fuga Magista. You're doing so well with the pronunciation. I know. I'm very proud of you. So the Potez (laughs) Fuga CM-170 Magista, uh, a classic image of the French Air Force's elite 
Patrulli, the V-tailed two-seat Fuga Magista, belongs on any list of top post-war French aircraft. The Magista also served ably as a lead-in jet trainer for the Air Force's pilots in many nations. France replaced the Magister's place in Patrulli with the France-German Alphajet Flight Global's Millicast database records Cameroon as being the only remaining user of the Magister with six trainers in service. Number four... At number four, it is the Dassault Ouragan. Uh, the Dassault MD-450 Ouragan, the, the Nazi occupation during the Second World War, froze France's fertile aviation industry. Just as their American, British and German rivals entered an era of rapid advances, so there was much catching up to do. To push France's, uh, France abruptly into a new era of sweat-wing jet-powered fighters, Marcel Dassault proposed the Aragon Hurricane. Though not quite the match for its other Western rivals, the Aragon re-established France's proud aviation legacy when the country needed it most and paved the way for the long series of mystery Mirage Raphael fighters that followed. Number three. Number three, the Moran Soulinier. <laughs> yeah. Soulinier. the MS-760. Business aviation may owe a debt to the Moran Soulinier MS-760, Paris. Thought, uh, though it fa- uh, found success as a French military trainer, the true legacy of the MS-760 is inspiring the idea of business travel using light jet-powered aircraft. An alliance with Beach in the late 1950s to market the MS-760 to business executives as an alternative to turboprops failed to gain traction. But the idea stuck. In 1963, serial aviation entrepreneur Bill Lear introduced a highly modified version of a Swiss fighter jet, the P-16, as the Learjet 23, and fulfilled the promise intended by the MS-760. At number two. Number two, the Aerospatiale Sud Aviation Puma. Oh, it's a rotary thing. Yes, it's a helicopter. <laughs> Weighing up to seven tonnes, the Sud Puma introduced the European rotorcraft market into the heavy lift helicopter when it first appeared in 1968. It quickly caught the world's attention, filling a wide variety of civil military roles in Europe, Africa and South America. The 16-passenger aircraft also provided the impetus for Sud Corporate's successor, Aerospatiale, to launch the <laughs> nine-ton Super Puma in 1975. Only one more to go, Carlos. Hold, hold it together, hold it together. And finally, you must be getting quite dry after all that spitting. Oh, I need a tea. <laughs> Indeed. And finally, at number one. Uh, one of my old, uh, old favourites. I um, remember seeing these when I was a really mm. young child. Oh, it, 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 is the, it is the iconic isn't it? The yeah, air it's, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the iconic pictures, one of the iconic aircraft from the jet age, French, the French mm. air age. The Sud Aviation Caravelle. Mm. Uh, as the ancestor to the Airbus A320, the first flight of the all-French Caravelle on the 27th of May 1955 may seem bittersweet. The Caravelle would never outsell the higher capacity Boeing 727 and Douglas DC9 that came later but it would lay the foundations of the French contribution to the Airbus Consortium. The world's first short-haul airliner, not powered by propellers, also introduced the concept of mounting the engines on the rear of the fuselage rather than embedded within or under the wings. 
The Caravelle was a successful enough to re-establish France as a commercial aviation powerhouse. Always have liked the Caravelle. It's very mm. sleek. Well, um, and, and the style is very much what you recognise today as the modern-day jetliner, mm. isn't it? I mean, it really was, a, you know, the pioneering uh, shape, if you like. I mean, everybody's sort of modelled their, mm. their craft on that ever since. I, I don't know if I like the idea of the engine being quite so close to the... Uh, to to the side of it because it must be noisy yeah. that's the only thing but it's quiet for the people at the front yeah, well yeah yeah <laughs> well there's yeah. engines way back I, there. I don't think that way. my 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 coach is a rear rear engine coach it's lovely and quiet at the front there but you'll, I, I you'll, dare say it's not quite so nice for those sitting on the back seat you know you'll have to ask the question yes. to captain jeff if oh, captain right. jeff's listening because yes. um, because jeff obviously flies the md88 md90s um for Acme Airlines, we, we, right? <laughs> and um, he he obviously sits way up the front there, obviously yes. on the flight deck. Yes, and the air, the aircraft he fly are in the same configuration mm. as this, with the air the engines at the rear mounted. Yeah. So there we are. We ask Jeff the question: We have just how uh, quiet is it up there? Yeah, just out of curiosity, <laughs> just out of sheer curiosity. Anyway, that the that ends uh, this week's civil aviation news. It's time for tea and cakes. Uh, le- lemon drizzle cake today. Oh, yeah, wow. I know, I know. It's good here, isn't it? Uh, right, mother's we, been baking away like a mad thing. Oh, <laughs> come on. I, I like that. I like that sentence. That's a good sentence. It is indeed. So we will be back very shortly after these messages. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> We're back. Indeed, suitably refreshed. Oh yes, well, that was quickly. That was quickly cut off at the end, yes. wasn't it? <laughs> a board, a boarded fly past there. <laughs> Indeed. No, we're back. Uh, Matt has uh, been and retrie- uh, retrieved a coffee for us, haven't you? And, yes, and, we, uh, we I've still yet to eat my orange cake. juice. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we're 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 on a on a on a diet here, so we yes. should keep keep yeah, off the uh, cake. Yeah. It's only high in meat content to, so far today. <laughs> yeah. So we have got um, some military news to cover. Yep. We've also got a segment from Pilot Pip mm. as well to play, even though he's been on the show already. Yeah. Uh, and we've also got some uh, air show news Indeed. for June as well. Let's get cracking. So let's cover this uh, week's military news. If you're ready, Matt, uh-huh. let's go. Thank you. 
So moving on then with the military news. Yes. Flight Global, this one, and a story we've covered in the last few episodes, and it's the uh, sad crash of the A400M, mm. the Airbus military A400M. Uh, almost one month after an Airbus A400M tactical transport crashed in Spain, the UK Ministry of Defence has yet to reach a decision on whether the type can resume training operations with the Royal Air Force. Uh, We can confirm, as requested by Airbus, that we have undertaken and completed a series of tough, thorough checks on the UK's A400M aircraft, the MOD says. Referring to an alert operator transmission issued by the company on the 19th of May, this said that the electronic control units for each Europrop International TP400-D6 power plant should undergo one-time specific checks. Initial analysis of the crashed aircraft's flight data report uh, recorder and the cockpit voice recorders by the Spanish military's CTAM investigation body released on the 2nd of June confirmed that a loss of power to three engines preceded the loss of the aircraft MSN-23 in Seville on the 9th of May. Four of the six strong Airbus flight test crew were killed in the mishap. We are keeping the situation under review and will return to flying once we understand sufficiently what happened and they are confident that it is safe to do so, the MOD says. The RAF has so far introduced two A400M Atlas transports from a total order of 22 of the type. Mm. So not yet uh, nailed it down, sort of narrowed it down to the specific cause of the crash well, but I, they they kind of know hmm. what caught you know, I you think, know really what caused I it. think they do know what happened but nobody's either in a position to or wants to put their neck on the line and say hmm. what happened if you see what I mean hmm. um, but the sooner somebody grows a pair essentially and does exactly that then the sooner that this particular incident can be put behind us uh, any repairs can be done, and mm. you know it's. Uh, I'm just a little bit concerned that there's too much saving face going on. Do you know what I mean? I it's say, a, it's there's a no doubt. Some, somebody, yeah, it is. It is. Mm. But somebody somewhere knows what happened, and they're either just keeping us all in the dark about it. I just seem it, the thing that I'm surprised about is that they seem to be keeping the people that are flying the aircraft still. Like, in, have have they grounded them? Yeah, the RAF have grounded theirs. Right, uh, yeah. I don't know quite know what um, mm. the other European countries who use the A400M, yeah. um, Germany, and that have they're still flying theirs. But um, yeah. I, I, it's just you know, bearing in mind that there's a month gone by now, and presumably this was given what I could re- refer to as high priority. I say I, I dispute that. Somebody somewhere knows what exactly what happened. Do you know what I mean? Well, whether they've found a solution to it or not, maybe that's what's taking the time. Well, but we'll carry on. We'll follow the story. We will indeed, yes. Mm. Anyway, next story. This is on the RAF website to the Royal Air Force, and uh, this is uh, involving Riyadh, which is most exciting. U.S. aircraft in air tattoo show of strength. The United States Air Force is uh, has announced it will be sending an array of aircraft to next month's Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairford in the Cotswolds. 
It will send aircraft from both of its British bases, RAF Lakenheath and RAF Mildenhall, as well as some on deployment from further afield. Uh, appearing for the first time in a UK display will be the Bell Boeing CV-22B Osprey, uh, now operated from Mildenhall by the 7th Special Operations Squadron, part of the 352nd Special Operations Wing. Previous demonstrations of the tilt rotor machine at the air tattoo have involved US Marine Corps, MV-22B models. Uh, a second CV-22B is due to be exhibited in the Static Park. Another new special operations aircraft from Milden Hall making its debut on the static display is an MC-130J Commando 2 version of the Hercules transport from the 7th Special Operations Squadron. Stationed at the same base are the KC-135R Stratotanker? Stratotanker, yeah. Air-to-air refuelling aircraft of the 351st Air Refuelling Squadron, one of which will also attend the air show on between the 17th and the 19th of July. The 493rd Fighter Squadron from nearby Lakenheath, known as the Grim Reapers, is due... That's a great name, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) ...is due to send a pair of F-15C... Eagle fighters to the show. These will be joined in the static lineup by two examples of a type once very familiar in the British skies, the A10 Thunderbolt 2 tank buster. Whilst no A10s are now permanently based in Europe, the two A10Cs taking part next month will be provided by a unit permanently stationed in the continental U- in the continental US states but on deployment to Europe. Air Tattoo Chief Executive Andy Armstrong said the Air Tattoo has always enjoyed an excellent relationship with the US Army. The support of the US Air Force gives us, uh, in allowing um, our show to be staged at RAF Fairfoot, a USAF standby base, and it is invaluable and gratefully appreciated. As I am, I am very pleased that visitors to the Air Tattoo will have the opportunity to view this superb range of USAF aircraft next month. The Air Tattoo is staged annually in support of the RAF Charitable Trust. Tickets for the event on the July between the July 17th and 19th are only available in advance. Tickets priced from £36 are available from airtattoo.com or by calling 0800 107 1940. All accompanied under 16s go free. There is also free ample parking. Ooh. And um, we shall be there this year. We will, yes. At the Air Tattoo, which yeah. we're thoroughly looking forward to. So make sure if you are at Riyadh this uh, this year, yes. keep an eye for uh, me and Matt. We'll be wearing our blue, uh, if it's hot and sunny, we'll be yes. wearing our blue <laughs> yes, Plain yeah. Talking t-shirts. UK t shirts. Yes. Yeah. As uh, modelled by Captain Jeff. As modelled by Captain Jeff on his yeah. last episode, yeah. And uh, if it's a bit chilly, we shall have our um, sort fleeces. of fleeces, our yes. grey fleeces on yes. with the logos on. So if you do see us, do come and say hello. Do please, yes, definitely. And uh, yeah, if we're recording at the time, then uh, perhaps you can, <laughs> you can even say hello on, you can on, on, on live, you live can on live on air. Yes. Yes. So moving on then to our next story. Indeed. Uh, NATO AGS could open door to wider Global Hawk business. Mm. This one on the Aviation Weeks uh, website, this one. Palmdale, California, Northrop Grumman has unveiled the first of five Block 40 standard RQ-4B Global Hawk unmanned air vehicles for NATO's Alliance Ground Surveillance, or AGS, program. Amid growing company hopes of additional sales to individual member nations, 
To be based at uh, Sigonella AB Air Force Base in Sicily, Italy, the aircraft will provide intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance to 15 participating nations, as well as supplying broader sensor capability to all 28 NATO members. Flight tests of the first AGS, all of which will be configured with a multi-platform radar technology insertion program, or MPRTIP, sensor will begin as early as August, with initial operation capability expected in late 2017. The first aircraft, NATO-1, will be uh, flight tested initially at Edwards Air Force Base, California, before making a ferry flight to Sigonella in 2016. In addition, the airframes for NATO-2, 3 and 4 are in final assembly at Northrop Grumman's site here. The fuselage for the fifth aircraft will be delivered here late this year. The rollout marks a key milestone on what has become a very long procurement road for the NATO program. Initial discussions over the requirement began more than 20 years ago, although the final $1.7 billion deal was signed relatively recently in 2012. The five aircraft have been acquired through a collective contributions from Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Germany, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Norway, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia and the US. The aircraft will be available to all 28 NATO members which will be uh, which will contribute to the day-to-day operational costs. Ground stations, command and control systems, training and logistics support services are currently being established at Sigonella with support from Northrop Grumman and its main industrial partners Airbus Defence and Space, Celex, ES and Konigsberg. Uh, as well as additional companies from all participating uh, countries. Northrop Grumman believes the introduction of the AGS fleet will help open the door to additional sales in the Europe uh, of Global Hawk and the Triton Maritime Patrol uh, derivative, particularly in countries such as Norway, which is looking to replace its aging fleet of P3 Orions. Despite the increasing number of maritime patrol operations becoming available as the P3 is phased out, Northrop is optimistic that others, potentially including the UK, will follow the US Navy and almost likely Australia in procuring Tritons in combination with a manned platform such as Boeing P-8 Poseidons. It's a bit worrying for the um, for the maritime patrol fleet, uh, mm. aircraft fleet, if they're going to replace them with uh, unmanned um, yeah. aerial vehicles. I um, think that's... How I, to be honest, I, I think that's how it's all going to go, frankly. I mean, I met some of the Dutch... Maritime Patrol guys mm. at, at Riyadh last year. Yeah. You know, really great bunch with yeah. the Orion and that. And uh, be a shame if they go because you know because of the un, unmanned. Uh, I, I, I just think, as I say, I think in general, uh, I won't be at all surprised if you know there will be very few people involved in war at all. Frankly, mm. um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean they won't do away with you know manned flights altogether. But I mean, I, I, I can very much see it going that way, which. I don't know. I think cheating a bit, really. You know, if you are if you are going to engage in a war zone, then at least have the the guts to mm. stand by your convictions. Do you know what I mean? It's it's all too easy to do it. You know? I think I think looking at it from a safety point of view, pe- mm. people agree. You know, if you're if you're sending a, an aircraft out in bad weather, yes, best best to send an unmanned one out. Yeah. Um, for these maritime operations, mm. uh, safer. You know, you know, it's you know to to search for people and stuff like mm. that at sea. Yes. Yes. So moving on to our next story. Our next story is uh, on Flight Global. And the headline, Boeing 767-2C tanker completes first flight 
with boom wings and pods. Uh, the first or boom, sorry, boom and wing pods. I do apologise. The first engineering and manufacturing development of aircraft of Boeing's KC-46 tanker program has completed its first airworthiness flight, equipped with an aerial refueling boom and wing air refueling pods, with a 4.3-hour flight from Boeing Field to Plainfield in Washington State. The first was a major milestone for the U.S. Air Force development program as it was the first time that the 767-2C aircraft has flown with aerial refuelling equipment, although the true test will come this summer when the first full-up uh, full KC-46A test aircraft, known as the EMD-2, conducts its first flight and then later refuelling tests with other military aircraft. Those flights will inform a milestone C decision that concludes the development phase. Boeing um, KC-46 spokesman Chick, Chick Ramley says that the flight on the 2nd of June supports US Federal Aviation Administration type certification of the 767-2C. The aircraft, called the EMD-1, will now undergo a series of ground tests before returning to the skies to run through an expanded flight envelope. The 2nd of June flight really concludes the initial part of the airworthiness testing. Now the EMD-1 will go into planned ground testing and will do some FAA certification off the 767-2C fuel provisions. Uh, Rami has said it will. It also enters the next phase of the airworthiness testing uh, following this ground testing phase. They'll expand the flight envelope, basically clearing the flight envelope for our tankers operations so they'll increase the speed increase the altitude and those types of things this will all occur before the first tanker flight emd2 later this summer it's for the faa certification but it also leads into and prepares for that first tanker flight it is very much a progression uh, the MD-1 aircraft resumed flight testing last week without the refuelling equipment for the first time since December. Ramey says those flights were successful. And by all accounts, the 2nd of June run with the boom and wing pods known as warps went very well also. The picture there is awesome. Mm, it of is. Seeing, seeing the, um, especially seeing the 767, mm. obviously windowless. Yes. Because all the windows are removed. Yes. Um, and done in the grey. Mm. And uh, with these pods on the ends of the wings, mm. and also the, obviously the refueling boom at the rear end down the tail. Yes, yeah. um, it's quite quite a, you know impressive looking aircraft. It is. Um, plus the fact, obviously, they're you know it's it, you you kind of look at this as a passenger aircraft, but it's you know it's been it being used for a completely different role. We've I mean we've gone over this quite a few times mm. before. Um, but no, it just got me. It does look good in grey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I know it's not the most uh, vibrant of colours, um, but if you get a chance to go on Flight Global site and look at this story, mm. you'll see the um, seven six seven on there. You all, will all in a, in a lovely, beautiful grey colour. Yeah. Um, it just looks a bit strange not seeing it white, or with or, some sort of flashy yeah, logo well, yeah, on or yeah, something. Yeah, some, yeah. Some, any any kind of livery. Yeah. So the last story then. Yes. Uh, on the Royal Air Force uh, website. Mm. And uh, RAF Marham receives top award. So personnel from RAF Marham here in the UK are celebrating receiving a top RAF award. The RAF's Stainforth Trophy was presented to Station Commander um, Air Commodore Harvey Smythe by Air Marshal Greg Bagwell in recognition of the station's outstanding contribution to air power. 
The title is awarded annually and competition is tough as the REF spaces each have their own specializations and strengths. On receiving the news that the distinctive silver trophy was Marum's, the excitement and celebration at the base was tangible. Air Marshal Bagwell, now Deputy Commander of Air Operations and a former Station Commander of the Norfolk Base, commented that he was particularly delighted to be able to, to present the award to RAF Marum. This award is for the personnel of RAF Marum. You must look at this with pride. You have to you have earned this trophy during 2014 and many more years besides. He went on to speak of the conflicts and operations across the globe which the station uh, had supported and how the past year had been one of unprecedented demands and workload. The station and its people have done everything which was asked of them and the way they have done their job has been inspiring. This award is for you and you deserve it, every bit of it, and we could not have asked more of you. He offered his congratulations and concluded with uh, comments on Marum's bright future with the Lightning F-35 at the heart of the RAF's future capability. RAF Mayarum's station air commander, Air Commodore Smythe, responded, Today is a very proud day for Marum, and it's a very special day to have Air Marshal Bagwell visit the station and present this trophy. And the trophy is just reward for the team. Well done. Yeah. So looking at the trophy there, lovely looking trophy. It is a very fabulous trophy. Very fabulous trophy. Lots of silver on there and mm. a nice wooden stand. Uh, you can see this on the RAF's website. And, uh, yeah, well done, RAF Marham. Yeah, well, it's a local local airfield to mm. us, so it's one of the reasons why I chose it, really. But, uh, they, I mean, all, all, the, all the RAF bases are all outstanding, aren't they? They are. They are. I would say this, but I reckon they're still the best in the world. I don't care what anyone says. And if they invite us to come and have a look round, we'll love Ooh, them even more. Yes, we would, very much so. <laughs> so if you have any ties with any RF bases, mm. please do give us a contact. Love to have and, a good, have we'd a love to have a look round and yes, do a few interviews and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, that's where we bring the military news mm. to a close for this episode. Uh, right, so air show news. Yes, right in the Things, thick of it now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yes. we are well into the thick of air show news for 2015. Mm. Uh, we're going to give you a rundown of stuff that's happening this month mm-hmm. in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so today being the 5th, uh, tomorrow the 6th of June. Tomorrow we're going to get this episode out today. So Today is the 6th. Oh, today is the 6th. Oh, sorry, today is the 6th. Yes. Sorry, that's today. Okay. Sorry, today as the episode goes out live. Yeah. Uh, Throckmorton Air Show is happening today in Worcestershire. Yeah. Um, that is uh, emergency services and military uh, show, aviation show. That's happening today. Mm. Good day for it. It is. Very good clear, day. Clear skies. Tomorrow, the 7th of June, the Shuttleworth Air Show and LAA party in the park, Old Warden, Bedfordshire. Uh, that's live music and air show collections of aircraft. Um, also aircraft, home-built, vintage classics as well. Mm. Um, all on show there. There's uh, going to be pit specials there. De Havilland DH-60 moths, um, De Havilland Tiger moths. Loads of aircraft there um, for you to see, uh, including the uh, Avro triplane as well from the mm. collection there. Um, on the 13th of June, uh, what a, one of the bigger ones this month, we've got the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight. That's at London Biggin Hill Airport mm. in Kent. Um, that's uh, I went to that one last year. Uh, yeah. I shan't be there this year because I'm 
otherwise engaged. engaged. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good one to go to if you do get the chance to go to get tickets to the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight at uh, London Biggin Hill Airport in Kent. Yeah. Um, don't forget, with the emphasis as well on the 75th anniversary of the Battle of yes. Britain as well, there's going to be a huge amount of aircraft on, on uh, display there and flying as well. Yeah. 13th of June, you've got the RAF Northolt Centenary Open Day in Middlesex. Um, that's the uh, famous RAF station on the outskirts of Great uh, London. Um, and they'll be opening open on that day. And there's going to be uh, the B-17 Flying Fortress Sally B from Duxford there. Uh, Spitfires, Jet Provosts, and a couple of Supermarine Spitfires. And also the Wildcat Aerobatics Display Team uh, with a pitched uh, S2B Special, uh, two of those there as well. And also the Black Cats, Augusta Westland, the Wildcat um, Display Team are going to be there as well, which are pretty awesome to see. Um, on the 14th of June. 14th of June is the, uh, you've got RAS Cosford Air Show, uh, that's in Shropshire. Uh, the West Midlands' largest aviation event and the Royal Air Force's only air show of 2015. Uh, m- loads of participating aircraft uh, in 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 there. Uh, on the 14th, uh, you've also got uh, the Bob Jones Memorial Air Show. Um, Sorry about that. Something just went wrong there. <laughs> He's just frantically clicking on the Sorry website. about that. Yes, uh, Bob Jones uh, M- Memorial Air Show. That's in Welshpool. Um, and fun days uh, flying in the heart of Wales with our with oh, RAF, be good. Uh, participation. I hope for, for everyone's sake that the weather's uh, good. The weather yeah. is like yeah. it is today. Um, participating people, obviously the Red Arrows, um, Eurofighter Typhoons, FGR4s, Ooh. they're going to be there. Grow, um, RAF Falcons, uh, parachute display team, um, uh, great war display team, the old buckers. Oh, look who's there as well. One of our previous guests on the show. Oh, where are we? Oh, yes, Lauren Richardson. Oh, yes, yes. of course she is. Yeah, there in her little pit special, she'll be that You're in for a real treat there <laughs> uh, as well. Uh, the Slings, Slingsby Firefly, um, that's also going to be there. And the Eurocopter Squirrel HT1s. Uh, they'll also be there doing a display. Uh, and also on the 14th, uh, it's a bit busy day, actually, for uh, or busy weekend, sorry. You've got the Red Hill Aviation Festival, um, and uh, that's at Red Hill Aerodrome in Surrey. The Pilots Hub and Red Hill Aer- Aerodrome are pleased to invite you to an aviation festival at Red, Red Hill Aerodrome on Sunday the 14th of June 2015. The event will be raising funds to support the wonderful work of the Kent, Surrey and Essex uh, Air Ambulance, which is based at the Aerodrome. Join us for a day of classic aviation incorporating the Wall's Harley-Davidson Rally. More than 250 Harley-Davidson motorbikes will be on display along with many classic uh, and vintage aircraft visiting from around the UK. Sounds like a, like a great time. Uh, one, one that's worth mentioning, I think, in case you were planning to go, um, the Whitehaven Air Show in Cumbria. That has now officially been cancelled, um, which is very sad, obviously. Um, I think they were hoping to get it un- under up and running for 2015 again because I think it wasn't. I don't think it was running last year either, um, but that has now officially been cancelled, which is the same. Uh, 20th, uh, 20th of of this month, also you've got the Shuttleworth Edwardian Picnic Evening Air Show. That sounds like a nice way to spend your evening. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Picnic and flying. Yeah, yes. loads of craft again uh, there. Um, you've got uh, the De Havilland Dra- uh, Dragon Rapide. Um, Battle of Britain Memorial flight also. Just trying to find the highlights here. 
Um, what else have we got? Uh, got a couple of uh, um, Bristol uh, uh, Bristol two uh, F two B fighters as well demonstrating. Um, yeah, so yeah, quite quite a few there. Lots of craft there. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> they are predominantly local to the area. So it really is a it's really got a, a proper local feel to it. Lots of support from local flying clubs um, actually there, which is so good. plenty to look out for mm. this month. Yeah. Uh, there's a few more we'll cover uh, next uh, next week next time, towards yes. the end of June. Yeah, because um, June will fly past like everyone in it. Everything well, else, everything all the rest of the months. I mean, this this year is just <laughs> um, romping by. Yes. Yep. Definitely, that will yeah. soon be uh, soon be towards getting towards the end of summer at this rate. I know, but we that, have that, got... that's if we have one, obviously. <laughs> well, we are at the moment. We are having a nice summer <laughs> yes. at the moment. To be yes. fair, <laughs> yes, this is our one day, is it? Yes. And we have got a segment from Pilot Pip to play yes. you now. Yes, we, we were we? chatting to him earlier. Yes, but um, he has also sent the segment in. Mm, God, he's busy. He is. Yes, and it's usually your fault. To be fair, I know. I know. <laughs> I do set him homework. You do. Yes. And he does it while he's away. So he um, yeah. he's, he's let's not feel like too sorry for him. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to bring you that segment from Pilot Pip right now. And now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello, everyone. It's Pilot Pip here. You join me in a very hot and sticky Paris where I've spent the day flying around Northern Europe, dodging thunderstorms, including a particularly heavy one on the approach in uh, to Paris here this afternoon, which we had to abandon our approach, uh, turn around and go off and hold and wait for this nasty thunderstorm to move out of our way. And it's thunderstorms in a very roundabout sort of way that lead me into this week's Safety from the Flight Deck segment. I don't know if you saw this uh, story in the news a few weeks ago regarding an Air France flight operating down in Africa, doing a very short flight between uh, Malibu in Equatorial Guinea and Douala in Cameroon. Now, this is a very short flight. If you have a look at Google Maps or something, you can see that uh, the point of origin, Malibu, is just a small island off the coast, and it's just a quick hop across the water into Cameroon. And, well, let me quickly read the story, tell you what happened, and then we're going to have a very short discussion about minimum altitudes, minimum safe altitudes. So here's the story. An Air France Boeing 777-200 performing flight AF953 from Malibu, Equatorial Guinea to Douala in Cameroon with 37 on people on board was en route to Douala maintaining flight level 9-0, that's 9,000 feet, when the crew requested and was cleared to deviate north of the assigned route due to thunderstorms. Later, while turning right towards Douala, the EGBWS, that's the uh, Ground Proximity Warning System, the EGPWS of the aircraft issued a terrain warning and called pull up, which the crew complied with, climbing the aircraft to flight level 130, where the EGPWS stopped the warnings. The aircraft subsequently continued for a safe landing to Douala. The French BEAA, that's the uh, French investigation people, reported in their weekly bulletin that the occurrence was rated a serious incident and that the French BEA is investigating... So, very basically what happened, this aircraft was flying a short flight, just a short hop across the water at 9,000 feet, and there were some thunderstorms in their way, so they requested a deviation round to the north, which they did at 9,000 feet, and they then were caught unawares, it seems, and were issued with this terrain, terrain, pull up warning from the ground proximity warning system. 
And this is what I wanted to talk about. It's minimum safe altitudes, or MSA. Now, the MSA in that particular region was actually at nearly 16,000 feet. Now, why were they flying around at 9,000 feet, you might ask? Well, we'll get on to that one a bit later. But we have various different types of minimum safe altitudes, different definitions and different ways in which they're calculated. So this is what I just wanted to talk about briefly today. So the term MSA is a sort of generic term we use to describe safe altitudes, minimum safe altitudes when we're in our en route phase of flight. And it's a general term we use to describe the minimum altitude that we should be flying at en route, which will keep us clear of any high terrain, any buildings, any mountains, that sort of thing. And generally when we're flying along on our en route section, we're following an airway, which is a portion of airspace, a defined route, usually between two radio aids, so between two VORs, for instance. And the airway is generally five nautical miles either side of the centre line, so it's ten nautical miles across. And the basic minimum altitude on an airway is something called a minimum en route altitude, or an MEA. And this is the lowest published altitude that exists between these two radio aids that define the airway that ensures adequate terrain clearance by at least 1,000 feet over the highest part of terrain within 5 nautical miles, so the width of the airway. Or, if there's high terrain, that's terrain over 5,000 feet above mean sea level, then it gives you 2,000 feet clearance over that terrain. And as a basic rule, this will be, the MEA will be the minimum altitude that will be used for both flight planning and actual flight execution. So with just a couple of exceptions, which I'll get into later, we shouldn't ever be flying around below the MEA whilst we're in our en route phase of flight. Now, we're not always following an airway, of course. We're not always following a defined route. We often get directs or we're a, you know, a cross-country, if you like, going direct to some waypoint, uh, maybe several hundred miles away. So then we have a, another term, and that's the minimum off-route altitude. So the one before was the minimum on-route altitude. Now we have the minimum off-route altitude. And actually, it's a very similar thing, and it comes in two flavours. We have the route minimum on-route altitude and a grid minimum on-route altitude. And what does that mean? Well, although we're not following an airway, we're still following a planned route. And as part of our basic flight planning, we have to ensure that we have adequate terrain clearance at all points over that route. That's our, you know, that's our guarantee. That's our responsibility as operators. So when our flight planning department, our dispatchers come to plan these routes, they'll use some kind of flight planning software, which does most of this automatically. But we do have to ensure that any route we plan is, as I said earlier, a thousand feet at least above the highest terrain along that route, or 2,000 feet if there's high terrain above 5,000 feet. And then we also have the grid minimum altitude. So uh, when we look at our aeronautical charts, they're divided into grids by longer lines of longitude and latitude, much like any other chart you'll look at. And for each of those grid squares on that map, there'll be published a grid minimum off-route altitude. And again, that's exactly the same principle, 1,000 feet above the highest terrain in that particular grid or that particular square or 2,000 feet if there's high terrain there. Now as well as providing adequate terrain clearance in most cases in most countries these minimum altitudes all should also guarantee adequate uh, reception of radio aids so it's no good following an airway which is based on a VOR or an NDB or a DME if your aircraft can't pick up that, uh, that signal from the radio aid because it's too low for instance. So as well as providing the adequate terrain clearance, it should also be high enough to ensure that the aircraft can receive the radio signal at all points along that route. Now, there's something to consider then if you're flying over areas of very high terrain, like the Alps, for instance, or maybe the Himalayas. 
you know, go down to the Alps and the uh, Mont Blanc goes up to nearly 18,000 feet. So let's just think about for a second the altitude that an aircraft is capable of flying at when it loses one engine. Typically we're cruising around with two engines in the, the high 30s, 38,000 feet, 40,000 feet. But if we lose an engine, well the aircraft can't maintain that, it's going to have to come down to its single engine cruising level, which will typically be something in the region of anything between fifteen to 25,000 feet. So you can see if you're flying over the Alps where the mountains are up to 18,000 feet, but your aircraft's only capable of flying at 15,000 feet if you lose an engine, well, then you have a problem. So as part of our basic flight planning, we have to, whenever we're flying over high terrain, we have to have what we call a drift-down procedure. And this means that if we lose an engine, we have to be able to follow some procedure, some route, whereby we can allow the aircraft to gradually drift down using maximum continuous thrust on the operating engine. We can let it drift down slowly to the altitude, its final stabilised altitude on a single engine, whilst taking us away from the high terrain. And not just engine failures we need to think about. What if we have a depressurisation event and we're up at 40,000 feet? Well, you need to get down pretty damn rapidly before people start to suffer from lack of oxygen and asphyxiation. Now, typically when we're dealing with depressurisation events, we want to get down ideally to something like 10,000 feet. 15,000 feet may be acceptable. But again, we're in the same situation. Imagine you're flying over the Himalayas where it goes up to 28,000 feet or so and your aircraft suffers a rapid depressurization, well, again, then you may have a problem. So we really need to think about our minimum safe altitudes and all possible eventualities and how we're going to deal with it if something happens. Now, as pilots, we don't really get too involved in the flight planning, to be honest. That's part of the, the dispatch process done in our headquarters or our dispatch department. And as I say, they will use some sort of automatic flight planning software which will take all these factors into account. But certainly, whilst we're flying along, we should have a very good awareness of where our minimum safe altitude is. If it's 8,000 feet or 2,000 feet or 28,000 feet, we need to have it in the back of our minds roughly where it is so we know if something very dramatic happens and we need to descend very quickly, we want to know roughly where it is. We don't want to suddenly put the aircraft in a dive down to 10,000 feet only to meet a mountain at 18,000 feet halfway down. That will not end very well. Which brings me back to this Air France incident. They were flying around at 9,000 feet, where the MSA was at nearly 16,000 feet. So they were 7,000 feet below their minimum safe altitude. So how's that? How is it that in a big airline like Air France with a modern jet like a 777, they were able to do this and not seemingly be aware of their MSA? Well, there are a couple of situations in which you can safely fly around below your MSA. One of them would be when you're under a positive radar control. So from a ground radar, the air traffic controller, he's positively identified you on his radar. He knows what altitude you're at because he has a readout of that from your transponder. And he's also aware of where all the high terrain is. And he will have a map, a chart with what we call minimum vectoring altitudes. So minimum altitudes in various segments around his area of responsibility minimum altitudes at which he can descend an aircraft to, which may well be below the local MSA. The other time we can descend below MSA is when we're following a published procedure, a published route. Now, our arrival routes, for instance, they're very specific and we follow them and they will gradually bring us in towards the airport, often in high terrain environments, but they'll bring us down on published surveyed routes. 
So we know as long as we're sticking to that route, we can descend below the MSA quite safely. However, in the case of this Air France incident, they were neither under positive radar control nor were they following a route when they deviated north of their intended track to avoid the thunderstorms. Now, what, is, what seems to have happened, it was, I say, is a very short trip across the water, so they elected to fly 9,000 feet, which, if they were just flying in a straight line, would have been fine. they just go over the water, land in their destination airport. No big deal. However, when they deviated off to the north to avoid the thunderstorms, what should have been in their head is, where are we going? What's up in this new direction that we hadn't planned for? And the answer is, what was up there? Well, it's two whacking great hills, actually, two great big mountains. So off they went, heading up towards these two mountains, blissfully unaware of what was coming to them, until the ground proximity system started shouting at them to pull up. Now, you could say, well, the system worked, they avoided disaster. True enough, the ground proximity warning system is a wonderful invention, and it's probably saved many lives over the decades. But it's still a somewhat baffling as to how an experienced crew from a Western European airline could find themselves in that particular situation. So maybe a few difficult questions there for Air France to address. Anyway, I've babbled on enough about that. I just wanted to give you a flavour of some of the minimum altitudes that we need to consider. So for now, I need to go to bed, get some sleep, because I'll no doubt be flying off to some sunny, exotic location again in the morning. So for now, everyone, take care and fly safe. Pilot Pip signing off. Thank you for that, Pip, as yeah. always. I never like to hear the word abandon and thunderstorms <laughs> all in the same sentence. It's, uh, poor Pip, it sounds like he had a bit of a... To be fair, a... we did have some really, really God, rough storms yeah. here in the UK yesterday. Bad. Yesterday, especially. Oh, blimey. Cool, yeah. As I say, I said earlier, my boss spent most of yesterday hiding under a desk. <laughs> <laughs> I shan't say anything in case no, the no. rain listens to yeah. this show. No, it's all right. You're quite safe. Okay. <laughs> yes. No. She, she might accidentally walk in on me listening to it in the coach while I'm cleaning or something like that. But <laughs> have, it, have it playing while in the yeah. coach. Yeah. yeah. No, brilliant. No, thanks a lot for that, Pip. Yeah. Uh, don't forget again, Plane Safety Podcast Absolutely, on yes. iTunes. You can catch yes. Pip on there each looking, week. Looking forward to his special guest. Yes, definitely on his next episode. Mm. Keep an eye out for that one. So we've got a few uh, hellos, yes. uh, shout-outs um, to give uh, on the show this week. Uh, first one, Jenny Parkinson. Uh, she was one of the competition winners from last year who won a T-shirt. Um, she has just sort of sent a message in while we've been recording the show. And uh, she's uh, sent us a lovely picture of her wearing one of our T-shirts. And um, she is based in Italy. And she is back in the UK visiting family in Shetland, and apparently she flew um, flew up in a Saab prop aircraft. So one of the really? Saab, I think it's one of the Saab 340s she flew on. Ah. So uh, if you're listening, Jenny, take take some pictures of the aircraft. Yeah, send them in to us while, uh, if you get a chance to. Um, also, uh, whilst I've been recording, I'll we'll give a mention uh, to one of our uh, favourite photographers uh, on Instagram, um, Daniel Hannington. Hello, Dan. Um Big hello to you, mm. um, one of our listeners on the show who uh, who's on Instagram, and uh, you can follow him on there. He produces some awesome pictures. Photos, yeah. He uh, he actually sent me um, this week uh, one of the photos that he took uh, of a TriStar, which was uh, awfully kind of him, I must say. He oh, sent he dear. sent me um, sent me the original um, copy of that photo, which Lovely. which I am currently using. 
as the backdrop on one of my laptops. Um, but no, Dan does take some fantastic shots um, on on uh, Instagram. And if you go to dh underscore aviation underscore photography on Instagram, uh, you'll find uh, him on there with all his fantastic photos. Yeah. And at the moment, he has got 14,500 followers excellent yeah goes to show how good the pictures are then doesn't mm. it really also so- hello to as well before we go uh one of our latest uh followers on facebook mark harvey uh hello to mark uh you've uh, started to follow us on facebook i hope you're enjoying the show if you want to get in touch with the show because we like to hear all your feedback good or bad we want to make sure we're covering the stories that you want to hear to get in touch via facebook it's facebook.com forward slash plane talking uk that's obviously plane spelt p-l-a-n-e uh it's twitter.com forward slash plane talking uk and of course don't go uh, no, do go. I, I mean, don't forget to go is what I meant, <laughs> meant to say. Go to plaintalkinguk.com. On there is a link to our email address. You can send us a contact form, get in touch via there. Don't forget also PIP uh, and the Plane Safety uh, podcast. That's worth mm. a listen as well. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and uh, that really is it uh, for this week. It is uh, now 10 past 11. It's wow. been a busy morning. It's been a busy morning. <laughs> yes. What with Pip being on and everything. Yeah, yes. I know. It's good. It's good. It's good. I love it. It's good to be back in the in the, in the the saddle again. Yes. <laughs> I did miss very much it was only being a week. on that. I know, it but it, week. it was like part of my part of my. Oh. Your Life sanity. had been taken yeah. away, yes. From never. Yeah, I'm never moving again. Right, good. Anyway, yes. so, yes, so that is it for episode 63. It is, yes. Uh, we're going to come back to you next week with another yeah. show. Hopefully with a guest. Yes, We've hopefully with some, a guest. We've got, got some to, irons in the fire. Yes, 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 we definitely have. So I'm going to go home now and relax for the afternoon yes. and uh, and then do my DJing duties this evening at a wedding. I, later on, I think, as it's such a nice day and it's almost guaranteed to ensure the rain comes, I'm going to fire up the barbecue. <laughs> oh, blind. Rub it in, rub it in. What? <laughs> Thank you. Always a pleasure. So, for me, Carlos, uh, thanks for listening again, guys and girls. Yes. You're a fantastic audience, and we really do appreciate you listening to us every week. Very much so. Um, and for me, Carlos, it's a blue sky, sunny, and warm goodbye. And for Matt, it is also goodbye. 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 <laughs>